Well, before we get going, I just want to say this. If there's an elephant in the room, you just address it, right? Yeah? If everybody's thinking about something, my thing is just we talk about it. And I know there's a lot of uncertainty right now going through um, our nation. And I just want to remind us that we are called to not walk by fear. We are not called to walk by fear. We are called to walk in wisdom. And so the, the, the pairing of those things are what we're looking at right now. And so we don't want to be afraid. We want to trust God and walk in faith. And we're going to talk about rooting ourselves in that. But we also want to be wise. And so a couple wise things to do here at the orchard when you attend is, one, you know, wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And like I said, don't touch anyone else's face either. That's very strange, okay? Just, that's just a rule, right? Just don't start touching other people's faces. Um, coughing and sneezing your elbow. And, and here's, here's the other bit. Part of loving people is recognizing that while you may not be as concerned with something, and you might not think it's a big deal, there are some who might think otherwise. And so whatever your views, for the sake of those in this room who are vulnerable, I would ask that you would... Um, if you have a family member or one of you is sick, we would ask that you would stay home and worship with us on the Orchard live stream. And don't worry, yes, you can still tithe from home. We checked it out. It's okay. <laughs> and again, this isn't out of fear. This is just out of wisdom. We don't walk by fear. We don't, we don't walk in that way. We walk in faith. And so let me pray for us. Once we, well, actually, I already did pray for us, so let me not do that again. But let me just jump in. In Ephesians 1, we're, we looked last week at Ephesians 1, the first half of the chapter. And if you missed it, wow. I, I would say go back and listen. We have so many ways to listen or watch now. I mean, you can go to iTunes podcast, Orchard app, Facebook, our website, SoundCloud, YouTube. I would go back and I would watch or I would listen because it is the foundational teaching of this book. And it talks about what it means to be in Christ and all the many blessings that come from that. And so if you, miss and go, if you miss that, go check that out. And for those of you who were, who were present, your assignment last week was to read Ephesians 1 every day this week. And many of you told me you jumped into this, and we had a discussion on Facebook. For those of you fasting from social media, it was life-changing. Sorry you missed it. But on Facebook, we have a kind of a discussion going about this Ephesians 1 stuff, and, and a lot of us benefited from what others found in the text. And so even if you're not on social media, find a way that you can interact um, with, with this, because we're going to continue to do this. And this week, I want you to read Ephesians 2 every day this week. Pick a different translation every day. Do whatever you'd like to do. But ask God and ask the Spirit to reveal truth to you as you do that. So this week, we're looking at the second half of Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23. And I'm going to jump right in, and I'm going to try not to go too fast on this. I'm excited about it, and there's a lot. And that usually makes me talk very fast. So this morning, let's jump into verse 15. For this reason... Now, what reason is he talking about? Paul just got done telling us all the glorious benefits and inheritance we receive in Christ, remember? For that reason, for all, because of all the benefits, because all that God has done for us in Christ, he goes on, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, Paul says that they, he's heard of their faith in Jesus, and he's heard for their love for all God's people. And the word love here he uses is, again, that big love, agape love, the unconditional love. So Paul has heard that the church in Ephesus has been loving God and loving people with unconditional love. And he speaks here about this grand love for a certain group of people. He says, your love for all of God's people. So this church is known 
for their love for one another and their unity, despite the many different differences that they have in the, in the room in Ephesus, their church. They have found common ground, and they have a love for one another. You see, when we have love in this room, it overcomes any preferences we may have, and it can overcome some squabbles we may have, that God would call us in this room to love one another and have unity. Paul says ever since he heard this, he hasn't stopped giving thanks. And this means that while loving people in your church might seem like a small deal, it's a big thing. And what what I love most about the orchard is that we are a melting pot of people. You see, in this room, we have all different types of backgrounds. Rumor has it that we have some Baptists in here and some Catholics and even some Presbyterians who are predestined to be here. We have Methodists who chose it. We have Church of Christ and we have some Lutherans and we have many other denominations and many other backgrounds. And then we have many of us in here who who have no church background. We are a melting pot in this room and, and we have come here and refused to let our preferences divide us. In this room, we have lots of different political views as well. In fact, in 2016 election, the orchard was split about down the middle in voting. And so the person sitting near you might be voting for someone else, and you still are called to love them. So look over at them. Size them up. Let me tell me what you think. I think this is great. I love this about who we are. I love that we're a church that isn't all the same. Here at the orchard, Jesus is the main thing far above our religious backgrounds and preferences and and higher and way far above our our balance. And Paul praises Ephesus for this agape love that they have for one another that transcends their differences. And I think he would applaud us for that very thing. And and as we get closer to the November to uh, election day, we need to keep that in mind, that agape love is what defines us and what we're called to. That as God's people, we are called to love and called to unity above any earthly issue. Paul continues his prayer. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now I want to pause here and camp on this for a second because Paul is praying in a way that we often don't. It's not with just the words he uses. It has to do with the way and the requests that he consistently has. I want you to remember, the church of Ephesus that he's writing to is is facing some trying times. I mean, there were difficulties because the culture around them was not friendly to the morality that they believed and they lived. And then there were pressures. There were social and political and cultural and financial pressures upon these people. That church of Ephesus was facing uncertainty in the days and the weeks and the months ahead of them. And, And we get this, right? We get this. We're called to live and believe based on a heavenly morality that the world often thinks is silly or antiquated. We face financial pressures. We face social and political and cultural turmoil. And and aren't we facing some uncertainty in our nation in the days and weeks and months to come? I mean, we fit right in there. And so Paul is writing a people who are much like us. Now, and here's the truth. Let's be honest with ourselves. Whenever we start to pray, most often we pray for God to, to come and help us to change us, to save us from our circumstances. We pray, we're going to just shorten it, God, get me out of this. Our prayer times and our prayer journals and our prayer meetings are often full of prayers for God to change things outside of us because they're creating pressure and stress inside of us. But there's something unique about the way Paul prays in most of his writings. 
You see, when he's in hardship or writing to those in hardship, he often doesn't pray like we're used to praying. We don't find him praying that, that all the circumstances would be changed and the, and the pressure and the stress and the uncertainty would just vanish. Paul most often prays that no matter how hard it is outside of him or us, that God would internally resource and strengthen us to withstand those hardships. Paul doesn't pray, God, get me out of this prayers. He prays, God, get this into me. He doesn't pray, change my circumstances. He prays, change my heart. And this is the glory of Paul's prayers to the church of Ephesus here. That whatever is going on out there in your life or in the world or in the news, that God can resource and strengthen you in here. If you've ever scuba dived, maybe you've gone deep enough to begin to feel the change in pressure. You ever, you ever even gone down in a pool and you kind of feel that? Did you know the military has graded certain ocean depths for diving and for submarines? And the depth that the submarine functions best at is called design depth. It's the depth it was designed to be at. And below that are, are many more levels with increasing amounts of pressure The deeper you go, the greater the external pressure and stress. And the lowest rated is called crush depth. At that depth, the pressure from the outside is so great that it implodes the submarine. And here's the application. You see, in your life, there's a certain amount of pressure and stress that you can handle with with little effort. Each of us is different. We're all created different with personalities and design. But we each have a design depth. We each have a a depth we can live and work and do what we need to do with minimal effects from the stress and pressure. You have your design depth. But as the work stress increases, or maybe illness encroaches, relationships fracture and finances run thin, the external pressure increases and presses in on our joy and our peace with greater and greater force. Now, we know what this is like. We we lay awake sleepless because of this kind of thing. We are fully aware of the pressure that we're operating at. And usually, based on your personality, you find ways to want to escape this pressure. We each have our fantasies about how to get away from it all. I mean, planning, just imagining a big life change or or getting out of town or getting out of a relationship or or finding someone or something new or just dreaming about winning the lottery and what you would do with it. Some of us shut down and get depressed or or others in our anxiety, we get frantic and and some begin to over-function and over-control the circumstances. You see, we each react to that pressure differently. And when we pray, we most often pray, God, get me out of this. Remove the pressure. But here we have Paul writing to people under pressure. And he says, I keep asking that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And we're going to get to more of his prayer to see what he continues to want to be in us. But notice that Paul doesn't pray for them that the external pressure would cease. He prays their internal strength would increase. You see, Paul knows that out there is a lot of stress. So Paul prays that in here would be more strength. Paul knows that their circumstances are rough, and so he prays the Spirit of God would make their faith robust. 
Paul doesn't pray that, that God would decrease the pressure. God, Paul prays that God would increase their power. And he does this time and time again. Paul prays that, prays that God would give them the Holy Spirit's wisdom and revelation so that what? So that you may know him better. You see, Paul knows from experience, he knows that life is going to press in on you. It's part of life. But he also knows that God can grant us a fortitude to withstand and overcome even the crush depth. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4. These are the words of someone who has a spiritual strength to withstand the external pressure. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. You get it? We're hard-pressed. The pressure is high, but we're not crushed. We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do, but we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. And listen to how he finishes. But despite all the pressure of the crushed depth, there's no way we're giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, God is making new life. The application here, Orchard, is, is, is clear, but it's not easy. Can we pray for God to come in and save us and change things and rescue? Absolutely, yes. But our prayer life and our prayer journals shouldn't be filled with that prayer alone. Because life comes with pressure. And the greatest thing we can begin to pray is that despite the pressures that we face, that God would strengthen us to withstand and overcome. God, build up my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that I can bear whatever life throws at me. God, yes, help me in my circumstances, but build me and strengthen me in my spirit. Paul prays that may God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you can know him better. And knowing God better, that's kind of the whole point, right? That's, that's one reason we are here. To know God better and love God greater that's how we become more and more like Jesus. He prays that we have wisdom and knowledge. And in wisdom, this is that supreme intelligence of God. And revelation, right here, he prays for revelation. It's that, that's revealing things that were previously unknown. Revelation is fresh truth from heaven. So that we can know him better increased understanding, and a closer relationship. Now, there are many words for knowledge in the Bible, but the word they used here is epigenosis. And epigenosis isn't a phone book type of knowledge. Epigenosis is an experiential knowledge. It means it is knowledge that you have experienced and gained through first-hand relationship with something or someone Paul is praying that you would know God better through experiencing him in relationship. This is a common prayer for Paul because this is a central truth to our spiritual life if we want to withstand pressure. Listen to him praying for other churches and other letters. He says to Colossians, I pray you may live a life worthy of the Lord, growing in your knowledge of God. Philippians 1.9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You see, growing in your knowledge is important, but it's not so you can win Bible trivia. When you expand your knowledge on a topic, you, you come away with more facts, but, but God's not a topic to be interfaced with. God doesn't want you to just to memorize facts. 
He wants you to know his heart. God desires greater relationship. And knowledge, we get this, knowledge is important in relationships. Because when you increase your knowledge of someone in a relationship, it most often leads to increased love. And so we have this dance between knowledge and love. That as our our knowledge increases, our love increases. And as our love increases, our desire for knowledge increases. And and maybe you remember, remember, some some of you, this is going to be very difficult. But remember back when you were first getting to know your beloved. Remember, Remember back when you were first falling in love? Do you remember how every new facet that you realized about that person was just a really big deal? I mean, you'd stay on the phone for hours. Hours. Remember those phone calls? My wife and I text now, but we, I mean, like five hour conversations. And like, it's just epigenosis, experiential knowledge. Oh, I didn't know that. And every time you learn something new, man, your heart just swells. I mean, we would drive all night just to be there to spend the weekend. You remember those days? When that knowledge would increase your love. And every new discovery about them was a thrill. And when you learn something new about your beloved, your love grows into that place. And as knowledge and love increases, intimacy and relationship is the result. And God wants you to remember that he's not a topic. He's not an idea to be interfaced with. And the Bible is not something just to win a trivia or get facts. God wants greater intimacy with you. He wants a greater relationship with you. He wants you to learn new insights about him and his nature so that your love increases. Knowledge is important, and that's why Paul prays this. Getting to know God more is vital to our relationship, but again, it's a dance, and knowledge isn't leading the dance. Love is always leading. And so for you, for a growing and thriving relationship between you and God, it's to let your love lead and to increase your knowledge and pray for revelation. So what are you doing in your life to increase your knowledge. You know, right um, during the next service, we're going to have a class in the boardroom about what is the Bible, the foundational truths of the Bible. And and maybe for you, that's a great place to start, is after this service, to go in there to the boardroom and and dive in there. But how are you increasing your knowledge of God and his nature and his word? But Paul's just getting warmed up in this prayer. He, he, He keeps going. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Now, we love this word picture. The eyes of your heart. I mean, we've heard of our mind's eye, right? But he says the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And this is a far greater thing than an enlightened mind. Because if it's an enlightened heart, it's something you experience deep within you at your deepest core. Now, what does Paul want our eyes of our heart enlightened about? It says this. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he called you. That you may know the hope. And hope is a confident expectation. A confident expectation that something good is yet to come. And Paul, guided by the Holy Spirit, wants our hearts to be enlightened to the good that God has in store for us. And I believe that hope is one of the most valuable qualities on the planet. I mean, hopelessness is the result of external crush depth without internal strength. 
Hopelessness comes when the external pressures of life or circumstances have disappointed us so much that any confident expectation of something new and good has imploded. And hope isn't just something God thinks is good. Let's finish the verse. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he called you. God calls you to hope. He's called you to confidently expect that he has good things ahead for you. He's called you to expect that in confidence. Or to rephrase it, Paul would say, I want your heart to know God better so you can have a confident expectation of the good that God is calling you to. And Paul, if he was a salesman, would say, but wait, there's more. Because he's not done. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you may know the hope to which he called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches. The abundance of spiritual wealth. Glorious inheritance that we receive as children because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it says it's in his holy people. The riches of God's inheritance is in those who are in Christ. And so his body, is, his people, are part of God's glorious inheritance. So look around you right now. Look around. Look at someone. That person has incredible worth. We have incredible worth because God has declared it true. And no matter how much you fought on the way to church, God still declares that that person has incredible worth and that his people are part of his glorious inheritance. But wait, there's more. Paul wants us to know God better, to have a confident expectation of good things because he calls us to it because of one last thing. So that you may know the hope to which he calls you, and his incredible great power for those who believe. That you would know God better, and you would know the incredible great power for us who believe. This is amazing. Part of the hope we have is this amazing power that is for us and is in us who believe in Christ. He's saying heaven is our inheritance someday, but this great power is ours today. And we put them together to see his, the full offer he has. I mean, his offer is forgiveness in the past, power in the present, and hope for the future. And it says this power is incredible. And the word here means surpassing, exceeding, transcendent. And then he, he doubles down and he puts the word great in there. This word is only used in the Bible one time in this place. And we put it together with the other word. It's, it's surpassing greatness. It's transcendent magnitude. He's setting us up for something. He's doubling down on this language to let you know how great this power is. His incredible great power for us who believe. The, the salvation you received doesn't come empty-handed. It comes with a power of transcendent magnitude for any who are in Christ. The work of God in you and for you is an incredible, great, and divine power. Listen to a few of these verses that speak of this. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. The gospel came to you not simply with words, not simply with preaching, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep faith. 1 Timothy 1, 2 Timothy 1.7. For the Spirit... God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power 
and love and self-discipline. Second, Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of God. Now, if that wasn't enough, we're about to find out the measure and true greatness of this power that is for us and in us. Because it's, it's really cool to think that there's power for us and in us. But Paul continues. He says, that power. The next verse says, that power. What power is he talking about? The power he just mentioned. The power that is for you and in you. That power of incredible greatness, that power is the same as the mighty strength. So here we go. That power he just mentioned that is for us and in us is the same. It's identical to something else. It's the same as the mighty strength. And without, don't put it up yet. No slides. Now, without looking ahead, no reading ahead. And if you know the answer, don't yell it out. This is rhetorical. When he says that power that is for you and in you is identical, is the same as the power that's for you and in you. What power is that? What is it the same as? His incredible great power for us who believe is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That power in that tomb on Resurrection Sunday, that power is for you. That power of God's spirit is in you. What are you facing today that might just seem insurmountable? What are you struggling with right now? Where has the pressure of life crushed your hope? Where is the stress of life just draining your passion? What circumstances right now are you praying, God, get me out of this? What hope is dead in your heart? What do you need resurrected? What do you need revived and restored and redeemed? Because the power that rose Christ out of the grave is for you and in you. See, you may have places where your dreams and your hopes and your innocence are dead. And you may have been so disappointed that the joy is gone. Your passion may be empty. You may have given up on God doing anything else further in your life. You may have circumstances that went so, ba- so badly that you had a funeral for your future. And you may have placed your hopes for some things in a grave. But God is in the resurrection business. God has some experience in grave robbing away from the enemy and returning things to life. And what you thought was dead The same strength that allowed Jesus Christ to walk out of a tomb after torture and crucifixion and three days dead. That power, that power in that tomb is for you and in you in Christ. And perhaps instead of asking for small prayers and small things with small hopes, instead of begging for the universe to change course and make things easier for you, Instead of just hoping that the pressure at the depth that you're in gets lighter, maybe it's time that our innermost spirit become awakened to the reality 
that there is a power greater in you than anything this world could ever throw against you. And within those who are in Christ is the spirit of the living God. And he's in the resurrection business. Maybe it's time we started praying like Paul. Instead of God, get me out. We pray, God, enlighten my heart to know the incredibly great power that you have worked in and for me. Fill me with strength to face this current circumstance. Fill me with power to stand in the face of fear. Fill me with confidence that you have good things ahead for me. Fill me with the hope that what I thought was dead can live. Fill me with the mighty power to remain secure and unrattled when the pressures of life and death and disease and bankruptcy and brokenness and addiction and fear and depression or pandemic threaten me. Because the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave, that power, that's in me. And the same power that that rose Jesus from the dead, that power, that's in you. And it's for you. God, may I begin to walk in this reality that Paul talks about. He says this again in Romans 8, 11, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He continues, That same power raised Christ up and seated him in the heavenly realms far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in this age but in the one to come. Far above, he seated Christ far above the highest of high. And there's a lot of absolutes here in this verse. That Jesus is higher than all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name. It says every name that is invoked. And what that means is any prayer you have, any call to an idol or a god or a saint or or a prophet or, or a force or a comma or a meditation or a star or a constellation or anything else that we may ever call out to, the power and name of Jesus Christ over, not a little bit, heavenly, far above anything you could ever call on is the name of Jesus. So why would we invoke anything else in this life? And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. God placed Jesus high above. And there's two more absolutes. He is high above all things. And he is the head over everything for the church. Christ is appointed head over everything in the church. I love this. The church should be submitted to Jesus as leader. And if not, that means the church is off mission. And if a church is off mission, is it even actually a church? You know, we're not here to have a political agenda. We are here on a heavenly agenda. We're not here to be sidetracked by any issue. No matter how good, no matter how great, there's issues of surpassing greatness. Our Savior is high above all those things, and we have a mission in life to point others to Him and to mature and equip those who are in Christ. This is a value statement that the orchard has. We say, let's keep the main thing the main thing, and that's Jesus, above all issues in this place. So Jesus... Right now, once again, we publicly declare 
you are head of the orchard. Paul continues. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, and is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. We are his body. We're the hands and feet and knees and elbows, bringing Jesus to to a world that needs him. But a body isn't made up of, of just elbows or just hands. The body is a collection of completely unique parts that come together to accomplish what they could never accomplish on their own. And this is why all are accepted here. And this is why everyone has value. You see, you are a unique creation of God. He, gave, he made you with a personality mix. That made, he made you the way you are, with the talents the way you are. And, and you make his body stronger. When you are absent, this church body is weaker. And spiritually, if we're absent, we are weaker. If you're here and feeling unknown, if you're here and feeling unnecessary or unaccepted, know this, you have amazing value. You are accepted. And I would encourage you to, to do something brave and maybe sign up for a growth group where you can get to know and be known, or, or ask to be a part of our sound team. Look at those guys. They need lots of help. Or with our children and youth, or anywhere. Become a part of, bring your gifts to bear that this body could be stronger. You have amazing value, and we are stronger together. And with that, we come to the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians. That's the end of chapter 1. And I'm still trying to wrap my head and heart around this verse that we had here. When he says, I pray, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe it's the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. If we believe that in our mind and hearts, if the eyes of our hearts were enlightened and we knew that leaving here, how would we live differently? If we knew the power that had Jesus walk out of a tomb. If we knew the the power that caused his heart to beat after three days of being dead, if we knew that power was in us and for us, how would we live differently? How would you view yourself and the world and the pressure externally differently? See, we walk around saying, please take away the pressure. And God is saying, you have no idea how much strength and power the Spirit of God has in you. And that's why Paul prays often. I know you're going through a hard time. I pray that God would strengthen you and show you and reveal to you the power that he's put in there. Orchard, what needs resurrecting in your life today? Where is it you need to increase the strength within you to withstand the pressure outside of you? If you have come to believe in Jesus for salvation, then you have that power within you that transcends this world. And God wants to resource you, not so that you can just barely make it, but so we can overcome. And here's the point. It is important for us, it is imperative for us when pressures of life come on the news or anywhere else and we get rattled and shaken, and the pressure is getting closer, and it's getting stronger. It is important for us to be strengthened inside. It is vital that you begin and continue to know the nature of God, not just in one hour on Sunday, but but tomorrow, and, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, that you would begin to root your life deeply in the truth of Jesus, so that you can withstand crush depth. 
so that your hope doesn't implode. And for those of us in here who our hope has imploded in the past, we can ask Jesus to resurrect that hope even. And it's scary. It's scary to ask for something we've been disappointed with time and time again. Today's message is, it's transformational. I pray that we would awaken to this reality and begin to pray, God, your spirit is for me and in me. And pray like that. As we go to communion, I'll remind you, you have two assignments this week. First, to read Ephesians 2 daily. And the other one is this. Start taking a little bit of count of your prayers. And notice where you're praying, God, stop the pressure. God, get me out of this. God, solve this. God, change my circumstances. And begin to pray, God, change me. God, strengthen me. God, give me peace. Yes, it's scary, give me peace. Yes, there's pressure, give me strength. Begin to pray for yourself the way Paul prays for us. And as we go into communion, we remember that Jesus, it is because of his death and resurrection that we are in Christ and that spirit is in us. And so we take this in remembrance of his sacrifice. And as you come and take it and you go back to your seat and you sit there, remember that his, his death wasn't the end of the story. Thank him for that. But remember that he didn't stay there. That a great power resurrected him. And that power is for you and in you. If you have any prayer requests, we have a team back there in the back. If you're in here today and you would, you would say, I don't, I don't know Jesus personally. I don't, I'm not in Christ. I don't, I don't know if I've chosen that or I don't know if I've prayed that, but I would like you to. Then you are welcome to come talk to one of them back there. Come talk to me. We'd love to pray that with you. But let's go into some worship and let's respond to God.